Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Final hour will be a good one because we start with uh, one of my favorite guests. When it comes to talking golf, there's no one better than the Golf Channels and his syndicated show, Fairways of Life, my buddy Matt Adams. Matthew, uh, how did you enjoy your U.S. Open weekend? Jody Mack, not as much as I enjoy being declared and crowned your favorite guest. Well, the truth hurts. Uh, and <laughs> I thought you, it was you, amazing, dude. I thought it was absolutely out of this world amazing. It was. And and part of that is, before we start talking about Raman's accomplishment and some of the guys who faded badly down the stretch, uh, Torrey Pines might be my favorite U.S. Open location. Because, A, it's beautiful, B, it's hard, B, it's different in being hard than some of the other U.S. Open courses. Am I giving Torrey Pines too much credit? Um, I think you may be guilty of recency, but that, that would be the extent of it. I mean, whenever, if, if a golf tournament is well-staged, if it's well-set up, if it has a dynamic leaderboard, sorry if it's loud, I'm in a bar as usual when I'm talking to you. That's um, okay. If, if if all of these elements are there, you're going to come away from it, hopefully as a golfer and say, I would love to play that golf course tomorrow and maybe for the rest of my life. And I think that's what we got from Torrey Pines. There's some idiosyncrasies at a golf course that make it a little bit odd. There, there's some things and some lines and some shots that you could question the fairness on, but in terms of producing a dynamic and exciting U S open, Obviously, it did it in 2008 with Tiger, and it did it again this year with John Rahm. It was, it was, a, it was a great venue. Here's the reason why I specifically liked it. And I, I don't remember reacting the same way when Tiger won it 13 years ago in that playoff. And, damn, I was rooting for a playoff because they got to go the full 18 uh, the next day like they did between me and Rocco Media. Um, there are certain holes there that just judging the speed of the putts on the greens to me seems virtually impossible. Usually you either have lightning fast greens and it's like punting, putting on a pool table or you have unbelievably difficult undulations. I could see the speed changes from hole to hole on that course. Uh, again, am I overstating it? Was I seeing things that weren't there? But I thought it was tremendously hard putting on uh, all of the Torrey Pines holes this weekend. Well, uh, do you cut your own grass, Jody Mack? No. Oh. Well, then that's... <laughs> I, I'm being honest. What can I tell you? I'm a lazy oh, I, bum. That's what I'm and, looking for from you. No, the, the reality is, is those are Poana Greens. And Poana blooms later in the afternoon. So from a putting standpoint, it's like putting on little florets of broccoli. So the, my favorite putting shots all week was when the cameras got so close that you could see the ball bouncing straight up in the air regardless of slope. That is the reason why it is so hard to judge what the golf ball is going to do on these greens. So given the fact that we saw absolutely epic historic putts 
on 17 and 18 from the eventual winner, it is absolutely remarkable that you can do that in a Poenta Greens because they normally do not allow for the union of line and intent such as we saw in those closing holes. It was it, it made for great drama. Now, Rom was the favorite coming in, and that was yeah. one of the reasons why I didn't think John Rom was going to win or I wasn't going to pick him because I wasn't going to bet him. I know that uh, he certainly was a major motivational guy as to uh, having a tournament taken out from underneath him uh, fairly recently, um, but I just didn't know if he was the guy this week, and kudos and credit to him for doing what he did the last two holes. Do you think he was the favorite because of what transpired two weeks ago when he was told, sorry, you're not going to be able to finish even though you have a six-stroke lead? No, I actually think that he was the favorite because of the character that was revealed two weeks ago. John Rahm is a different player now than he was before. Uh, it, what I loved about this victory is you saw immediately post-victory, the hugs from Phil Mickelson, the hugs from Tim Mickelson. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when he came to the United States, John Rom could not speak English. He learned to speak English by listening to rap songs. He was recruited <laughs> by Tim Mickelson, his college coach. Tim Mickelson is now the caddy for his brother, Phil, who just won the PGA Championship at 50 years old. He turned 51 on Wednesday of this past week. So the combination of those things speaks to a kind of Mickelson mafia of sorts but it speaks to the maturity of John Rahm. John Rahm was a fiery player. John Rahm admittedly had trouble controlling his emotions, mostly his emotion of anger, when he felt like fate dealt him a, a card that he did not deserve. But after what we saw at Memorial, when the die was cast, it was already done, and then they got to him and said, well, what do you think about what happened? He said, look, it was no one's fault. They were following CDC guidelines. I had had my COVID shot. Uh, vaccination shot. However, it had not been 14 days and it kicked in as positive. And he reacted with such maturity that it was clear that this man who was a recently new father and the shots of him holding his baby on Father's Day was just, you know, awesome. All of these things speak to a maturity level that shows that John Rahm, it, even though he had touched for a moment at world number one and he settled as one of the best, this is a different guy. This is a guy that is tapping into the legacy of major champions from Spain. He is directly tapping into the legacy of Seve Ballesteros, directly tapping into the legacy of Jose Maria Olazabal. So this is really cool stuff in terms of the history of the game, the significance of what it means, and what we saw in the game's global stage today and this week. Yeah, give him a ton of credit because he did just that. And they talked about it plenty on the broadcast today that he is an emotional guy and he plays emotional golf and he kept his emotions in check in this tournament better than he ever did before, specifically on the back nine. He had a couple of holes where he absolutely could have given them away. Um, didn't have the greatest positioning, had tough putts that he had to make. He he withstood everything and just kept putting uh, pars up until he made those two huge putts left. You don't do that if you're an overly emotional player. Yeah, I agree with that. However, what we saw from John Rahm recently is that the difference between – he's still emotional, but the difference between an emotional player that – I forget the exact phrase you just used, Jody Mack, in terms of controlling himself. But it's, it's moving beyond the line that is usually defined by one's level of maturity where you feel as though you are a victim 
or you feel as though, you know what, what just happened to me could happen to anybody, and these, this is the way it goes, and now I have to react to it. That's the different John Rom. He's still fiery. He's still emotional. I mean, if you watch the videos, they're all over social media now, of him making the putt at 17, him making the putt at 18. It's hard to tell which one is which because they are so identical in terms of a, a, a slope down in from the left to the right and then the fist pumps and the emotion that follows. That's part of what makes him who he is. What he has put aside from what makes him who he is is the fact that he, he will, will uh, sit there and, and uh, feel like somehow he's been, been you know, dealt an unfair hand. He hasn't been. He's just been dealt the fan of li- the hand of life and the, and the hand of golf, and he's reacting to it accordingly. That's the thing that I think makes him so powerful. And it's funny, as I was watching him today, all I could think about, I probably shouldn't have for September, I should focus not just on the U.S. Open, but I was thinking about the Ryder Cup, and I was thinking, what will this mean for the next – 5, 10, 15, 20 years for the Ryder Cup with someone with that kind of poise, that kind of raw talent, that kind of power that is John Rahm. I got on the air three hours ago, and uh, I gave a update on the scoreboard when I hopped on. You had uh, Oosthuizen and DeChambeau tied at minus 5, and you had four guys at minus 4. So you, or it's five guys at minus four. You had seven players within one stroke with everybody on the back nine. I said, damn, this might be one of the greatest U.S. Opens ever. Yeah. Um, Louis Eustazen got two strokes ahead. He was at uh, minus six. And I don't know if it was Rom or somebody else was, maybe it was English, hanging in at uh, minus four. So he had a two-stroke lead with about five or six to play, and he comes up a stroke short. Does he just chip it up to, yeah, I got beat by a better guy today, Rom won it, or does Louis feel the pain of having a two-stroke lead and not holding on to win that he lost it? Well, I don't, I don't think Louis' pain is unique, but I definitely think of the choices you laid out. He's going to feel the pain. Louis never goes left, except on 16 and 17 in the final <laughs> round of the U.S. Open. And on 17, when he left, this is part of what I think is a little bit quirky in terms of the design of that hole. They call it now, according to the USGA terminology, Jody Mack, a penalty area. It's a hazard. It, it falls off the, the, the fairway and then, and then disappears into an abyss. And you may have seen yesterday, they showed a video of big rattlesnake settling down into that yes. region, too. So it, and it's an appropriate metaphor for where he was. So <laughs> he hit it left. It caught that slope. It went down into the penalty area. And it sealed his fate, unfortunately, for him. The, the other side of it, and, and I know this is getting very much inside baseball or inside golf, if you please, for him to fail to try to go for the green in two on 18, that's going to be brought up a lot. He was 227 yards away. You could hear him talking with his caddy. For him, that was probably a five iron in that position. He said, I, I cannot get there because there was grass between him and the ball. And what happens when that takes place is they don't know if it's going to come out like a dud or they don't know if it's going to come out what's called a flyer, which means the grass squishes between the ball and the club face. The, the water from the grass fills the grooves, and it causes the ball to come out with no spin, and it goes longer than you expect. My sense is that the way he'll be judged in the immediacy will be that people will say, well, why wouldn't you take a shot? If you hit it 40 yards over the green, no one would fault you for being aggressive, and if you came up short, it's no different than going to the higher lofted club. So I do think there are questions that will be asked at large, but I think the broader and the louder questions will be the ones that Louis asked himself. Right. And I was going to ask you that very question. And when I saw it, I was surprised slash disappointed 
but he almost saved faith by birdieing the hole. He does get to with a now. Now he needed to eagle the hole, and he had eagled the hole the day before, so you knew at least he had done it once, as in in less than twenty four hours. Uh, but he did actually get the birdie. I I too was a little surprised that he did uh, lay up there. All right, uh, the guy that uh, he was tied with, with about two hours to go, or two hours ago, was DeChambeau, who the wheels completely came off today. What the hell happened to him? Well, I mean, Bryson is Bryson. And, you know, I, I, when, when I try to explain to people to understand who Bryson DeChambeau is, you know, that show, I think it's a CBS show, actually, Jody Mack, uh, Big Bang Theory. You know the sure. guys on the Big Bang Theory? They're scientists and they're engineers. And they're completely unaware of how they impact the world around them. They're not bad people, but sometimes they do things or say things that people look at and go, well, that was really weird, or that was slightly offensive, or that was something that I, that I really didn't think was great. And I think that's the way it is with Bryson a lot. His, his mental plane is a different one than ours. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's smart. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying it's different. He thinks differently than everybody else. And I've always said the same thing about Bryson. It does not matter if we get it. It doesn't matter if we understand it. It doesn't matter if we agree with it. All that matters is that it means something to him. However, there's a sharp side to that. And that side is when it doesn't work and when he doesn't believe and when it goes sideways, it goes really sideways. And that's what we saw with Bryson. If you ask me the question if I thought that it was influenced by pressure, 100%. I think it was influenced by pressure. But I also think it's influenced by something else, and that is – his approach, again, uh, Big Bang Theory, of playing all clubs into the exact same length, and he just changes the loft, of the dynamic loft of the club. I think that impacts him in situations where adrenaline is flowing and where there's a great deal of pressure and nerves, in that when you're hitting a wedge that's the length of a six iron, it starts to get hard to control your length on that wedge. It, his philosophy is, if I swing it to 9 o'clock, if I swing it to 12 o'clock, I know exactly how far it's going to go. But when you're being influenced by other things, which includes anxiety and everything else that goes along with the finish of a big event, how can you be that precise? And when you can't be that precise, you can have variances, mistakes that compound themselves. And I, I, my sense is that's what we saw. The one good news for Bryson was he wasn't the only one who blew up on the back nine today. Uh, McElroy had birdied four and looked like he was ready to make a charge. Uh, but then bogey 11, bogey 12, bogey 13, uh, oh, excuse me, bogey 16. He also had a uh, very tough time on the back nine. It's been a while between drinks of water for Rory McElroy. Is the pressure starting to get to him? I don't know whether it's just the pressure that's starting to, to, to get to Rory McIlroy. That, that Rory's working very hard with Pete Cowan on his golf swing. Pete, Pete is uh, one of his new coaches, and Pete Cowan and, and Butch Harmon are the one and two or two and one, depending on which way your perspective goes, teachers of the game in the world. And he's trying to get Rory in a position that when Rory rips down after it, the ball doesn't, he doesn't miss the ball to the left because that's, that's when Rory gets himself in trouble. He, he naturally hits a right-to-left shot, but when he's hitting these drives and he overcooks it left, he gets himself in a lot of trouble. Uh, he's actually also trying to work on developing a nice little fade out there. Remember how young Rory still is relative to someone like Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson hadn't even won his major championship yet or gone on the form that saw him ascend to now world number one at the age that Rory is right now. So Rory still has time. 
Uh, Rory's had a lot of life changes. I think when, when you look at John Rahm, who's a new parent right now, I think that's been good for him in terms of focus. Uh, with Rory McIlroy, I think that all the things that settled into his life outside of the game of golf could have been, I'll use the word, a distraction, though I'm not sure if that's a fair assessment, but I definitely think that Rory started to smell the roses outside the ropes and saying that, you know, it's more the life than, than just the game of golf. Uh, so I think all of those things impacted Rory McIlroy, but when it, when it hurts a player of their caliber, it's when it impacts that player in terms of how they perform, how they swing the golf club. Rory's trying to get back to where his golf swing is efficient, so I wouldn't count Rory out. In fact, I feel pretty good about Rory McIlroy at Royal St. George's, save this uh, tape, Jody Mack, because I think that Rory's on the verge of finding his greatness again. All right, that's where I was going next. Thanks for getting there in advance for me. Um, we have Hideki Matsuyama, the first uh, Japanese player to ever win the Masters. Then you have the old man in the sea, Phil Mickelson. Great story, getting the job done at the PGA. Then you have a Spaniard who's never won a U.S. Open before, step up and win that. Are we looking at a guy like McElroy or Johnson or Spieth? Somebody who's already gotten it done. Somebody already has a major under their belt, if not a couple. We've kind of touched all the other bases. What's left for Royal St. George's? If you look at the last time we were at Royal St. George's, it was run won by Darren Clark, who couldn't have been more of the old man in the sea. He, he looked like he was right on top of the whale with, with the spear. So I wouldn't necessarily assume that it's going to be more of the theme that we've seen already, which is, which is a theme of resurgence in the world of golf, at least, where you have these really big names that all of a sudden win again. You know, the epitome of that, obviously, was what you alluded to with Bill Mickelson. But Royal St. George's is a quirky place. The, the way that I would describe it, which you'll find of interest, Jody Mack, I have to quarantine for seven days on the way in in a hotel room which I can't leave. They leave food outside the door. Sounds like prison to me, and I've got my shots. But nonetheless, um, Rose St. George's is pretty much, I would describe the golf course as an unmade bed. And as a result, there's a quirkiness to it that goes along with it that opens the field up tremendously. Ball striking, obviously, is still critically important. Having a sense and feel on, on those, those uh, fescue greens is going to be important. But because of the very nature of the golf course itself, it is unlike any other course in the Rota because of how quirky it is. I think it opens the field up tremendously. We, we could very easily be surprised, and you and I could be talking that week and say, hey, did you ever see this player winning it? And the answer would be honestly no. All right, and uh, we had a couple of guys like that who uh, we were thinking just that while this was being played, the Matthew Wolfs of the world, the Mackenzie Hughes of the world. They didn't win. Congratulations, Mr. Rom, but they were certainly in the mix that could have asked us that question. Uh, now i got to ask you one more. I was going to let you go, but are the players being held to the same standards a guy like you is who's going over to work on the broadcast of the game? Are they going to be quarantined prior to uh, the, the tournament? So, And if that's the case, it's going to be a week. What, are those guys getting there the middle of the week before the tournament is actually going to be played? I don't know the answer to that question. I, w I would bounce that back to you and say, please let me know, because <laughs> they, they, were, they were trying to get – I have to get what they call a letter of sponsorship because of the work that I do with the BBC. And that means that I have a letter from someone within uh, the UK, in England in this case, that says, oh, no, 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 he's working with us. We need him here. And that kind of greases the skids for me to be there. I believe that athletes 
get some form of exemption, even though they still have to go through rigorous testing. But I am not 100% certain of that, so I leave that to your good self. Okay. Well, uh, if, you, if you find out, do me a favor. Text me and tell me. I would appreciate right. it greatly. Chances are you're going to find out before I am. So uh, if I find out first, I will certainly reach out to you. Yeah, chances you. are you'll be reaching out to me. And uh, I appreciate whenever you do reach out and hop on the show, buddy. You're the best. Thanks. Thanks, Jody Max. See ya. Matt Adams of the Golf Channel, his syndicated show, Fairways of Life, if you're any kind of a golf fan and you don't listen on a day-in, day-out basis, he's got a YouTube channel and it's on uh, all the places that you get your uh, best podcasts. If you want to talk golf and you're not talking with Matt Adams, you're not talking with it the best. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 